Well, we're four minutes, almost five minutes past, so let's go ahead and get started. We'll start with a word of prayer. You, God, are the one who sits on the throne, and it is you who order the affairs of mankind. You are the one who uh, raises up nations, and you're the one who takes them down. You're the one who um, directs the affairs of mankind, and even to the the affairs of our own lives. And, and Father, it's before you that we we bow and we um, we worship and and give to you the honor that is due to you because of that. And as we look into your word this morning, may our hearts be open to what you are doing and what you have done so that we may learn and uh, be strengthened in our own relationship with you. Lord, we want to seek after you. We want to know you more. And may our hearts uh, be led into that uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we'll be looking at the fall of Jerusalem. And some of the uh, the lessons that can be learned from that. We're going to be looking at uh, what what we uh, can see from uh, the history of of kings of Israel. We've been looking over the last few weeks at those kinds of things, and I wanted to. Uh, propose this question uh, for us to kind of ponder as we go through um, our our lesson today that what happens to God's plans when man fails that's something for, that we will be um, at the end of the uh, lesson today answering more succinctly but uh, be thinking about that question as we're, we're going through our uh, study today I'm popping a little bit aren't I or Okay, um, so as the microphone's being adjusted, I want us to uh, consider these things. We've been looking in this uh, section of our study at God's justice and mercy and how God works. And we uh, began this study... Um, with the king, kings of Israel and Judah, that uh, the, the nation of Israel had divided into two, and, uh, and so we've been looking at both the the, the uh, kings and the nation from the north that was called Israel, and then also the kings and the nation of the south called Judah. And so uh, we've been going through those. We are now in lesson 11. We're focusing on Judah now. Israel, the northern nation, has already um, been dispersed and uh, is no longer a nation. And now we're coming down to the end of the southern nation. We'll be looking at how it ended as a nation at that point. And um, next week we'll be getting into the 70 years of exile and uh, and what that all meant. But today is God judging Judah. Uh, that's what we'll be looking at. So just as a way of review, Israel, the northern kingdom, has been scattered, as I said. And Judah, the southern kingdom, uh had multiple reformations and backslidings uh, and it at this point hangs in the on the precipice of destruction as I was writing this I, I was thinking of um, you know if I was more technologically savvy I would put this like as a trailer that, that like the Star Wars beginning you know where it goes forward and it goes up and kind of rolls up on the screen um, and you're out in space and it would be look really cool but George Lucas wouldn't give me the rights to that. And so we're stuck with doing a, a slide here. But but it kind of reminded me of that. Uh, the idea that we're, we're the <coughs> there's been a whole lot to the story. And it's come to this this point. And so for everybody 
who, who's listening to the story, the, the background information is important to kind of get into what's going on, to get the context and the feel of what it is. And, and so it's come to that point. Now, the people in Judah, particularly the kings, and these we're going to look at the um, mainly the last four kings, um, although there will be five that, that will we'll kind of go over. But um, these kings, um, the last four especially, it appears had no clue to their context. They, they acted at least as if things were just going to go on and on and on and that they would always be there. Um, and so they did not listen to the, the messengers that God sent them, the prophets, um, and they refused to make changes. And so there was um, those kind of things going on with them. Last week, we looked at the reforms <coughs> led by King Josiah, and, and Mike talked about um, the the idea that a lot of it was just pretense. There was much of the population who went along with Josiah's reforms because that was uh, politically convenient. And so they just went with it. But much of the population was not um, heart and soul into these uh, these reforms. And it's one of the things that we, as we look, are going to briefly go through the, the history of the kings of, of Judah in, in a couple minutes, um, we're going to see that. We're going to see a, a king that does really well. And then we're going to see the next king, his son, who, who's, who takes the people right into, into um, idolatry. And how can you have such a turnaround, a back and forth? And um, it, it is because the heart of the people would go with the le- what, whoever is in power. And, and most of the time, it's not a, a real heart thing. Now, we'll also talk about how that there are people, though, that do reform and it is real for them. And we'll be discussing uh, those as well. And that really should not surprise us because isn't that typically human? That's how we are. Uh, We look in our culture today and and we see people who um, will will buy into an idea a philosophy because it's popular. It's it's the the ruling idea. Uh, but it's not something they really own. It's not something they really give themselves to. And it's not something they will die for. Um, if, so, if things change in the culture, they'll go with the change rather than, than be real, being committed to their uh, beliefs. And so that's, that's pretty human. Um, and, and we see that humanity displayed um, here in, in this story of um, ancient Judah. So let's turn to Second Chronicles chapter 36, and we'll begin looking at, at some scripture there. We'll begin reading at verse 11. Zedekiah, by the way, is the final king of of uh, Judah. And so this is going to be a synopsis of his of the end, the synopsis of the end of Judah as a nation at this point. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, his God, and did not humble himself before Jeremiah, the prophet who spoke for the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear allegiance by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against the turning to the Lord, God of Israel. Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. And they defiled the house of the Lord, which he had sanctified in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, until there was no remedy. Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, who slew their young men with a sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, 
old man or infirm, he gave them all into his hand. All the articles of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his officers, he brought them all to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its fortified buildings with fire and destroyed all its valuable articles. Those who had escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon. And they were servants to him and to his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until 70 years were complete. Ezra, uh, the scribe, is the one who, who wrote First and Second Chronicles. And, um, and so he is... At the end of Second Chronicles, giving a summation of of uh, what has happened, and so that is what we have read here. and And what we see is that um, the the nation uh, was uh, approached by God, and God attempted to get their attention, to draw them to repentance. And there would be up and down periods of that throughout their history. And I want us to get a, a, a brief look at that. The, the first king of Israel was Saul. And Saul uh, reigned for 42 years. And then David uh, became the king. And David was the one who received the covenant from God that his seed would be on the throne. That his descendants would, would, would keep the throne. And they did all the way to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was the last one, but was a descendant of David. Um, David reigned for 40 years. And in, in their reign, Saul and David both, they did not go to idolatry. They, the, the worship of God was maintained um, and <coughs> with David uh, as he was king. He moved the center of the nation to Jerusalem and uh, began it there. Then Solomon became king. Solomon was one who, who built the temple, established the wor- worship of God there, and... Um, really established the glory of it all. And it became such an amazing um, thing that it was known throughout the the world around them. And so uh, leaders of nations would come from far away just to see what was what was happening there, to see the glory uh, that was displayed, that was given to God. And so Solomon uh, did a great job with that. But as we know, toward as he got further into his reign, um, the last part of his reign, Um, He introduced idolatry into the nation by marrying women from other countries, other nations, and bringing them into into their country, into his country, building temples for their gods in Jerusalem. And so he introduced idolatry into that. Rehoboam uh, was his son and succeeded him, and the idolatry worsened under Rehoboam. And it was during the beginning of the reign of Rehoboam, that the nation divided. And, and so we have talked about that as well. So Rehoboam um, leads the nation further into idolatry. Um, his son, Abijah, reigned for three years. And, and so Abijah um, continued that, that idolatry, and it, it got even worse with him. And so, uh, but his reign being only three years, um, his son Asa came along and became the first reformer. So we see here uh, a, a uh, slow degradation, and then God raises up a king uh, who would bring reformation. And so Asa is that one. And so Asa brings about reformation, and he reigns for 41 years. His son Jehoshaphat also continued those reforms and continued to to purge the land of the idolatry and he reigned for 25 years and uh, did what was right in the sight of the Lord in <coughs> in reference to those things however as we will see with all of these kings these are just guys these are just men and so they'll some of them even the good kings will will do some a lot of good things but they'll do some things that'll make you scratch your head and say what you know, and, and Jehoshaphat is one of these. Jehoshaphat made um, 
alliances with Ahab, the king of the north. Now, Ahab was one of, one of these guys that, as we look back in history, uh, he's one of those people that, that makes you think nobody should name their kid Ahab. You know, it's, it's, he was a bad man. And, and uh, of course, his wife Jezebel. And Ahab and Jezebel had this reputation historically um, that is just really negative. Well, Jehoshaphat um, felt, I guess, he was kind of this magnanimous guy that, that you know, he, he, he wanted to see at some point, ultimately, I think, the, the restoration of the United Kingdom. Uh, so he makes um, these alliance, uh, this alliance with Ahab. As a result of this alliance, it introduced into, Israel, into Judah, rather, uh, some very wicked things to follow. One of the things was that his son Jehoram married a daughter of Ahab. And so when Jehoshaphat died, Jehoram became king, was king for eight years, and took the country right back into idolatry because of the influence that, of his wife and of, her, of his father-in-law. And so they went right back into idolatry and that was Jehoram's leadership. Jehoram died, and his son Ahaziah uh, became king, but was king for only one year. And uh, I don't know if you remember, a few weeks ago we had a, a lesson where we talked about Jehu from the north. Now Jehu came in and cleaned out Ahab's family, all his descendants. Well, Ahaziah, who is the, the grandson of Ahab, um, was was part of that purging. He ended up ha- having uh, been down in in the, or up in the northern kingdom, and uh, was was killed along with that. So Ahaziah only reigned for one year, and he, he, all of his children were young. So his mother uh, became this this wicked queen mother. Her name is Athaliah. She reigned for seven years, and she. Uh, in her attempt to to have power, uh, had all of her son's um, children killed. They rescued one. And so a man named Jehoiada, a priest, came in and took little Joash, who's just a baby, and hid him for seven years. And so through that seven-year period, we have Athaliah, the wicked queen mother, reigning in uh, Jerusalem. Joash, at seven years old, was brought out into the public and made the king. And Athaliah was killed, executed at that time. And so he became the second reformer. And under the uh, influence of Jehoiada, who was a very godly man, (coughs) um, they uh, enacted great reforms and and took Judah into in a really good direction in their worship of God. And so as long as Jehoiada was alive, Joash did really well uh, following him as an advisor. But when Jehoiada died, um, toward the end of Joash's reign, um, Joash began to listen to other advisors and ended up starting to go back toward or to at least dabble in idolatry. And so... That became the the problem for Judah again. However, um, well, at least one of the issues that that came up was uh, Jehoiada when he, Jehoiada's son Zechariah, uh, when he saw the direction that that Joash was going, stood up and declared against it, and Joash had him killed, and Zechariah was killed on the temple grounds um it was it was a very tragic and and horrible crime that that joash committed um against against zechariah and against god and would not listen to the voice of god at that point so so even with with good kings they they can have they have the typical human weakness and and that's what we see throughout all of this (coughs) his son amaziah um also didn't want to change that yet. Amaziah continued most of those reforms, but he also had a similar weakness, and he has a major failing um, about two thirds of the way through his reign, and um, and 
And so his, his failure also brings trouble to Judah. Uh, but for the most part, he continued in the reforms to follow after God. His son Uzziah became king and reigned for 52 years. One of the longest, uh, the, the second longest actually um, reigning king. Uh, Uzziah did a great, was a good king and did great things. Um, followed after God and, and enacted the reforms that were needed and um, got rid of the idolatry and so forth. However, if you've read the story of Uzziah, you know that he too had a weakness. And in his weakness, in his arrogance, began to build up in him. And, and he thought he had done such good job with re- Reformation that he could offer sacrifice in the temple and take the, the role of the priest. And he was struck with leprosy because of that and died alone, basically, um, because of the isolation of his disease. Um, but Uzziah did have a good reign in, in the nation of Judah. His son Jotham continued those reforms and was king for 16 years. Ahaz, his son, however, back to idolatry. And so uh, we see, again, this kind of up and down um, pattern that's going on so ahaz was king for 16 years his son hezekiah became the good king and so hezekiah became the third reformer and bringing about um, a cleansing of idolatry of the nation and out of the nation and um, did it was it was a very good king was king for 29 years but his son was maybe the worst <laughs> You know, and, and so that the, you read through these stories and see these patterns and sometimes it boggles the mind. You know, how can you have such big switches and, and yet it happens? This is this is our human story. This is who who we are as human beings. And, and we cannot uh, ever think that that uh, the good things we do are permanent and that they will never have to pay attention to these things again. Um, so Manasseh becomes probably the worst of all of the idolatrous kings uh builds um in the courtyard of the temple area builds uh uh items of worship for for the false gods and and takes people into um idolatry in a very deep way um manasseh uh is it said, well, we will be looking at some verses later, he bloodied the streets of Jerusalem. It was a very, um, very bad time. And, and in fact, it was so bad that God actually had the king of Assyria come and, and capture him, take him away, as described uh, for us, and, uh, and humbled him in his captivity because they, they pretty much tortured him and and humbled him and he cried out to God and asked for forgiveness and and repented of it came back and um and finished out his reign um and did some of his actually own small reforms his son however became king and continued idolatry <coughs> and um was but was king for only 2 years Ammon was um was was killed by people in his own palace uh they had seen the the issues with manasseh and now ammon was going to go back to it and they said no we're not going to let this happen and so they they actually um assassinated ammon and his young son josiah became king and josiah is 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 one that we've We've uh, spent some time talking about in, in different lessons uh, because of the great reform, reformation that he brought about. Probably the most thorough reformation of all the reforms. It talks about him actually um, taking down even the high places, uh, taking down everything and, and, and going back and, and bringing about literal um, enactments of following the law of God and was very passionate for that. He's the one who was when he's king they, they found the law of god and read it to him and he he uh went into terror and said we need to find out what god is about to do and uh we'll be looking at some of that law that he would have had read to him this morning and we'll find out that 
that why he was so afraid. He had good reason to be afraid. And uh, yet God told him, because of your heart uh, of repentance, I will not bring about this judgment in your lifetime, but I will in your son's lifetime because I am done with Judah as a nation for now. And so uh, Josiah, a very good king. Um, Josiah, however, he had his weakness. Oh, thank you. I sound thirsty, I know. And, and his weakness cost him his life. Uh, the Pharaoh Nico had, uh, there, well, in, in the world at that point, in, in that part of the world, there's these ongoing tensions between, with other nations. We've talked about Assyria. We have this, this up-and-coming nation in Babylon, uh, the Chaldeans, that are they're growing in power, and they're threatening uh, the Assyrians, the Medes up above them are also have these battles going on with the Assyrians. So the Assyrians are always fighting them. The Egyptians down in the south don't like the Assyrians either. And uh, they want control of the area. And they want to be the big power of uh, the world like they were before. Because <coughs> there were times in the past where Egypt is the, the dominant power. So... Uh, Pharaoh Necho uh, took his army and began going up north. Well, they would go by Israel, but he's on his way to Assyria. And he's, he's going to do battle with um, the Assyrian army. And on his way, uh, King Josiah, he should have consulted God, but there's no record of him ever consulting God on this issue. Um, he just decided that, that he he was more worried about being dominated by the Egyptians than he was by the Assyrians, and so uh, he went out to do battle with uh, the Egyptians. the The Pharaoh um, sent an emissary and says, "Look, my issue is not with you. Uh, I don't want to go to battle with you. Um, go home and and let us go and deal with the Assyrians." And um, Josiah. He didn't want to listen to that, and so they the battle took place, and Josiah was killed in battle. And so Josiah, um, his rule ended, and uh, what we have then is um, his son being made king. Now, J- Josiah had four sons, one of whom had already died by this point, and so uh, the the nation in, in Judah picked then the um, the second oldest son to, to replace him, and that would, was Jeho, Jeho Ahaz. But he only reigned for three months. Uh, Pharaoh Necho came into Jerusalem, and uh, he didn't like Jeho Ahaz as king because he didn't think he would, uh, he thought he was going to be too much like his father and, and, and fight against him, and he's going to be trouble. And so he... Uh, took him as a captive, took him back to Egypt, and that's where he died. But he made Jehoiakim king in his place. And so uh, Jehoiakim became king and was king for um, 11 years. Nebuchadnezzar then later defeated Egypt and uh, took control of all the surrounding vassal states that Egypt had, including Judah. And when Nebuchadnezzar went to Jerusalem, um, <coughs> this is around 605 B.C. And my dates are a little bit like plus or minus a year or two uh, because the sources I looked at had a little variation. But this was as close as what I thought was right. So 605 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar goes to Jerusalem uh, and gathers the first group of captives and and sends them to Babylon. Daniel and his three friends are in that first group. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you remember those, that story, um, 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar sends them, in fact, takes them because he ends up going to Jerusalem, too, because he gets news of his father's death. And so he needs to get back to to Babylon to to make the official coronation of him becoming the successor to the throne. And so he he gets back to Babylon and uh, then the next year, 604 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came back and uh, he establishes control with all of these surrounding nations. So you have the the nation of Edom and and the Ammonites and you have all these other nations around Philistia um, that they're now going to be vassal states of um, of the Chaldeans. And so. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes back in 604 BC, gets control, and he gets a commitment from Jehoiakim that Jehoiakim's going to play along with with this, and that means sending the tribute and you know all of that kind of thing, and not uh, inciting a rebellion and creating problems with with other nations. So Jehoiakim makes that commitment in 604 BC. In 602 BC. Uh, Jehoiakim has decided he's had enough of this Babylonian thing. And and so he rebels. And and because of that rebellion and Jeremiah warned him not to do it. So Jeremiah is is a player in all this. He's he's giving advice to the kings. But for the most part, they won't listen to him. And this is one of another occasion where he wasn't listened to. Jeremiah warned him that if you do this, you know, you're going to create all kinds of trouble for yourself, not just from Babylon, but from the other nations, which is exactly what happened. Uh, because Nebuchadnezzar, having the control he did of the other surrounding nations, they all came out against uh, them. And so in 602 B.C., he begins to get all this military pressure. And by 598 B.C., he died. It's at that time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has decided, you know what, I've had enough of this silliness. And so he's he's already been marching and it's already arrived at Jerusalem and he's going to take control. And so uh, Jehoiakim died. Jehoiachin, his son, uh, was made king by the people, and, but he was king only for three months. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't uh, want him being king. He didn't want any more of this, this trouble. Um, and so he... Uh, removed him as king and and this uh and and sent him back to babylon with another group of captives so this was the second deportation of uh of israelis back to babylon and uh, among that group is ezekiel so ezekiel the prophet ends up going back to to babylon and so and when you read the book of ezekiel his writings are from babylon he what he wrote is from there um, but this subdue, this uh, rebellion was subdued under the reign of Jehoiachin. And Nebuchadnezzar then installed Zedekiah, the third son of Josiah, to be king. <laughs> he reigned 11 years. From 597 to 586 BC. And Zedekiah was one of these people that couldn't make up his mind. So when you read Jeremiah and you read Second uh, Chronicles and Second Kings about his reign, you find a lot of vacillation. Uh, there's a there are points where he, he wants nothing to do with what Jeremiah says. There are other points where he he calls for Jeremiah and asks for his advice. And he wants to know what, what God wants him to do. But then he can't decide. And then he's got people in his court who he's afraid of that. I don't want them to think that I'm taking advice from Jeremiah. And so there, there's all this weird um, uh, vacillation that's going on within his head. And he, so he keeps delaying, delaying, delaying. Yeah, that's a great point. Joe is saying that that Jeremiah was competing with false prophets. <coughs> Excuse me. And, and that is uh, not only in um, 
in Judea are there false prophets, but there are false prophets back in Babylon too. And one of the things the false prophets in Babylon are saying was, um, and we'll get into this a lot more next week, but they're saying, look, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to die in a couple of years and, and you, you're just going to be let go and you're going to be going back. So, so be getting ready for that going back. And, and, and uh, so we looking at that now really famous verse, you know, that Jeremiah wrote that's taken out of context that uh, of where Je- Jeremiah tells the people, no, you need to plant vineyards, grow gardens. You're going to be there a while. This is 70. This is a 70 year thing. This isn't going to be over. Um, God had his plans for you, plans for good, but it's going to be there. <laughs> You're not coming back here uh, in your generation. And so so there's these false prophets that are giving these false messages. And one of the, the things to think about is, is, at least as I read this, I'm reading, you know, J- Jeremiah is telling Zedekiah he needs to, at first he, he needs to, uh, to obey the, the rules that are set down by Nebuchadnezzar. Then when Nebuchadnezzar brings his armies uh, because he, he refuses to do that, um, Jeremiah is telling him, you need to surrender. Uh, because if you don't surrender, uh, there's going to be great destruction. And um, that idea of surrender is not very patriotic, right? And, and as human beings, wherever we are, we tend to be very uh, protective and loyal to our, our nation. What Jeremiah was trying to get Zedekiah to see, and Zedekiah is completely blind to it, there is a higher loyalty and responsibility that every human being has, and that's to God. God is the creator. God is the owner. God is the one who raises up the powers, and God is the one who takes them down. And uh, Zedekiah is completely blind to that um, and because he's a very foolish man, and so he, he doesn't get it. And so, yeah, the false prophets are, are giving false messages. And so that's a, an excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, and so there's this rebellion. Nebuchadnezzar comes, and for a year and seven months, Jerusalem is under siege. And being under siege, food is cut off, and... Uh, by the end of this siege, it, the conditions are just horrible. And so a month before it's, it's, it's completely done, uh, Zedekiah and some of his, his uh, higher-ups uh, plan and execute an escape. And they escape out of the south of the city, the southern gates, and they get a little ways, and they get caught. Zedekiah and his sons uh, are brought before King Nebuchadnezzar at, at his, where he is encamped. Um, several miles up north in Israel. And uh, Zedekiah gets to see his sons executed and his own eyes are put out and he's taken back to Babylon. So that is his end as being uh, king. And that's the end really of the kings of David that from, from the line of Solomon. That's the end of it. And Zedekiah is the last one <clears throat> and he's sent back with the final group of captives. So there's a third deportation. But Jerusalem is destroyed, completely destroyed. Uh, the temple is leveled. Uh, it's, it's burnt <clears throat> to the ground. All the gold is, is melted between the stones, and, and so this, the soldiers wanting to get the gold completely tear it apart. The walls that were to be this great protection of the city are completely torn down. And so there is nothing but rubble everywhere. God just wanted it leveled. And uh, so that, that's what Nebuchadnezzar did. So that is, is, is how, how it all ended. Now, what I want us to look at then is uh, three aspects. I want us to see the warning that God gave. Oh, I'm not going to have time to get through to read all these passages. So we'll just have to read some of it. God gave a warning. God gave judgment. And then there was Jeremiah's ministry. And then finally, the the, the lament of it all. 
Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Let's turn there. All the way back when Moses is giving his final messages to Israel. God gives a warning. So what does God expect? Well, if you look in Deuteronomy 10, uh, verse 12, he says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. And then look down to verse 20. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and cling to him and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise and he is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. So that was what they were supposed to do, what they were supposed to not or be uh, afraid of. Turn over to chapter 28. And uh, we'll read in verse 15. It says, But it shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And so then he goes off and lists a, a whole bunch of curses which they did endure. If you read the book of Judges, you see a lot of these things that, that come to pass. But look over in... Uh, Verse 49, and this applies, this would have been what Josiah would have had read to him and he would have been terrified. The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as the eagle swoops down, a nation whose language you shall not understand, a nation of fierce countenance who will have no respect for the old, nor show favor to the young. Moreover, it shall eat the offspring of your herd and the produce of your ground until you are destroyed. Who also leaves you no grain, new wine, or oil, nor the increase of your herd, or the young of your flock, till they have caused you to perish. It shall besiege you in all your towns, until your high and fortified walls, in which you trusted, come down throughout your land. And it shall besiege you in all your towns throughout your land, which the Lord your God has given you. Then you shall eat the offspring of your own body, the flesh of your sons and of your daughters, whom the Lord your God has given you during the siege and the distress by which your enemy will oppress you. This is Moses writing this before they had even crossed the river Jordan to, to go into the land. Moses is giving this warning. God is warning them um, that this is your fate if you do not follow me. This is exactly what happened. This is what happened when Nebuchadnezzar came in. And we can, we, can, we can read those accounts. We can read them in Jeremiah. We can read them in Second Chronicles um, and in Second Kings. This is what happened. And so uh, those are, the, that is the fate uh, that, that was promised to them. Then we go to God's judgment. And uh, we won't take the time to look at all of them, um, but I do want to look at Second Kings uh, chapter 24. So if you turn with me to that one. Verse 3 and 4, he says... <clears throat> Surely at the command of the Lord, it came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also for the innocent blood which he shed, for he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not forgive. Uh, <clears throat> that is a, a, a scary statement. But, but God had decided there is no going back now. Just Jerusalem has to be purged. And so... God would not change their, his mind about it, no matter what happened. Uh, the The streets were filled with blood. That that refers to probably three things that that these these items are mentioned by the various prophets, including Jeremiah. But they killed the prophets, the kings uh, throughout uh, the history of Judah. 
the, the prophets had come, and as we read, of one, or I told you one of Zechariah, who spoke up against uh, Amaziah, they would, they would just have the prophet killed. It's believed that during Manasseh's reign, by both uh, Jewish and Christian um, tradition, that it was Isaiah who was stuffed into a hollow log and then sawn in two. And that is the reference that comes from Hebrews 11 uh, that, that, uh, that, that that is talking about. <clears throat> that Manasseh, uh, his sin just, just poured so much blood of the innocent into the streets. Uh, so it was prophets who were killed. It also is described as uh, child, children being sacrificed. And so it's believed that that's also what is being referenced to here. And the oppression of the weak, um, that that was a big thing as well. In fact, you, you read prophets uh, decrying how that the weak are taken advantage of and, and even killed for, for what little they have. And so these are, are uh, things that God is paying attention to. God hasn't forgotten about it. God doesn't overlook it. And there does come a, a day of reckoning. And this day was finally enacted in the, in the destruction of Jerusalem. Second Chronicles twenty four eighteen, just look over there. Um, it says that uh, Zedekiah was twenty one years old and became king, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. Um, he did evil in verse nineteen in the sight of the Lord, according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For through the anger of the Lord, this came about in Jerusalem and Judah until he cast them out of their presence. And so uh, God was completing that work. In Matthew chapter 23, uh, verse 29 to 36, we have Jesus um, giving his woes against the scribes and the Pharisees. And one of them is that, that they are the descendants of those who killed the prophets. And Jesus is saying, and if they were alive today, you would do the same. In fact, you will do the same because I'm going to be sending my prophets to you and you will um, try to kill them, which is what happened. We read the book of Acts and, and right that their their reaction to to his uh, disciples, his apostles was to try to kill them, um, at least to, to terrorize them. And so Jesus, um, who is the, the judge, he is the judge of all things. Um, he's the one who knows about every mistreated prophet. He is keeping track and he does. And there will be a reckoning that for that. Next, we have um, Jeremiah's ministry. Um, I wish that we had more time to get more into that. Whoops. Oh, well, I guess we don't have to. <laughs> but, but with Jeremiah, uh, verse 18 and 19, Jer- God told Jeremiah to go to the potter's field. You ever read that passage? 18 and 19 is pretty powerful in, in describing uh, in imagery uh, just what God wanted to do. And so uh, Jeremiah goes, he sees the potter uh, making pottery and, and how the the the, the the jar that the potter is working on had a, a deformity in it. And so the potter had to, to beat it, start over and, and form it into something else. And <coughs> that imagery was to tell Israel or Judah that, um, that God will, will reform and he, he will make it something else that God is not stymied by man's failure. And going back to the theme kind of, of our lesson that God still does his plan and he is the potter and he can make of the clay what he wants to make and he will do that then in verse in chapter 19 god tells him to go to the where the potter throws away the old the broken pots and uh to to make an illustration that this pot that had been made made called uh the nation of israel will be crushed and that god has the right to do that as well and so that that in a brief summary um, uh, is is what is in 18 and 19 in Jeremiah 27. um, There's also God's uh, or Jeremiah giving this message from God. In fact, let's look at that one. Jeremiah 27. 
verse 12 and 13. says, I spoke words like all these to Zedekiah, king of Judah, saying, Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why will you die, you and your people, by the sword and famine and pestilence, as the Lord has spoken to that nation, which will not serve the king of Babylon? So here he's giving him this this warning. Look, you need to surrender. And, and And they would not listen to the Lord. So Jeremiah had this ministry. And uh, what a frustrating ministry it would have been um, for Jeremiah to do. But he was very faithful to it. Then we, we have the lament. I'd like you to look over in Psalm 74. And we have here a, a psalm um, written from um, Babylon, from the sons of Asaph, uh, he says, O God, why have you rejected us forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your inheritance. In this Mount Zion, where you have dwelt, turn your footsteps toward the perpetual ruins. The enemy has damaged everything within the sanctuary. Your adversaries have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They have set up their own standards for signs. It seems as if one had lifted up his axe in a forest of trees, and now all its carved work they smash with hatchet and hammers. They have burned your sanctuary to the ground. They have defiled the dwelling place of your name. Uh, this description, uh, this lament over the destruction of the temple, uh, written by <coughs> these worship leaders that are now in exile. This is the lament, and there's another uh, really powerful one in Lamentations chapter 4. This is written by Jeremiah, verses 3 to 11. We won't have time to get, get to that one. But uh, again, this overwhelming um, sorrow, the grief that the godly felt over the destruction of the, of the city and uh, particularly the place of worship. All right. Looking at all of this, we see that there's an end to what God had started, or at least it looks like it. it looks like an end. And so what happens to God's plans <coughs> when man fails? Well, one of the things that we should see is that God's plans are not dependent upon the successful execution of men, nor are they threatened by the failure of men. God's plans happen with or without our help. God doesn't need us to make his plans succeed. God invites us to join him in in executing his plans. But God does his plan um, because he is powerful enough to do it. One of the things we talked about in this whole series is the scarlet thread of redemption that goes from the Garden of Eden through human history all the way to to the cross. And so um, is that scarlet thread broken? No, because God still is fully able to accomplish it. And as we'll see uh, next week in, in studying the 70 weeks of, of uh, or 70 years of exile, uh, we'll see God able to bring it about that even in the heart of of pagan kings god moves and accomplishes his purpose and so uh it god is is not at the mercy of of uh man's weakness god does not subject his sovereignty to the fickle nature of mankind god is sovereign and man doesn't doesn't stop it doesn't stop his plan god is fully able to do it Another thing to look at is that God's glory is not dependent upon man-made temples. Uh, there is a lot of grief in, in, that we see in the, the laments over the destruction of the temple and the beautiful city. The city that was meant to bring glory to God. Uh, the temple is specially meant to bring glory to God, and now it's gone. But God doesn't derive his temple from man-made structures. 
right? The heavens declare the glory of God. God, God is able to display his, his glory without our help. He does it every day. Uh, and so God is, is fully able uh, to do that. He's not dependent upon anything that we can build for him. And, and we need to have that perspective. It's very good for us to remember that. We also need to see that God brings judgment, not because we spoil his plan. So God is not up there and, and he sees uh, the mess that we make of things. And so he just takes his hand and says, fine, you know, and then wipes everything off the board. And, and no, that's not why he brings judgment. Um, because we're, we're wrecking his plans, but because he loves this creature he made in his own image and is rescuing those that are his. And so his, his, one of the things he's accomplishing in the destruction of Jerusalem, besides the purging of the city, which needed to be done, he was, he was sick of the, of the violence and the blood and everything that had taken place in the city and it needed to be purged. Um, but he also wanted to spare the good. Um, there were there were a lot of good of God fearing people that were in Jerusalem. They weren't all idolaters. And so you read the account of Daniel, for instance. He's one that pops into my mind. Daniel is one of those that uh, was of the uh, he was one of the educated people. He was he was a. Uh, someone that was highly respected. That's why he was taken to Babylon. That's why Nebuchadnezzar wanted him and was put into training uh, to be an advisor, a counselor to the king. And Daniel and his three friends are godly people, God-fearing. And they, and they refuse, if you read the first chapter of Daniel, uh, they refuse to go along with uh, Nebuchadnezzar's protocols for diet. That was, you know, that seems like, well, that's a small thing. Yeah, and, and they still were going to be sticklers about it. They were going to obey God rather than going along with, with someone else's program. That's how godly they were. So there were, there were godly uh, people in Jerusalem, and God was going to preserve them because God wasn't finished with Judah. He had more plans for them. Um, so uh, he, he would still accomplish and rescue those that are his. Then God was also giving time for repentance. We, we see that, you know, the ups and downs. And why does God put up with all that? God gives time for repentance. Uh, so his delaying of judgment is always according to his plan. Um, Peter writes about this in his second letter. Uh, when he's describing the coming destruction of the whole world, of all of creation. And uh, so what about the mockers who say, you know, well, it's been all this time and nothing changes. It's still here. The sun comes up, sun goes down, everything keeps going on the same. And Peter's response is God is not slow regarding this judgment. As some people call slowness, but is long suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God gives time for repentance. Uh, God is so patient. And so we can learn <coughs> from that. And our time is up. So thank you for your attention and uh, appreciate that. And may this uh, be a, a blessing to us, encouragement to us that God, God is in control. And we don't have to be afraid of the affairs of our world, the way things are going. Uh, whatever happens, God knows. And God is in control of it all. God raises up nations and God takes them down, as we will continue to see in, in our series that we have. Let's close in prayer. You, O Lord, are great. And um, so glad that we can count on your faithfulness and your sovereignty, your power to accomplish your purposes. Your purposes are always right. Your plans are always the best. And so, Father, help us to be able to, to be submissive to that and to cast our cares upon you. And the worries that we have, the things that that we are uh, sometimes bothered by, Lord, help us to, to bring these to you and, and to trust in what you are doing. I thank you also for your patience and that you give to us um, the, the patience that we that's needed for us to repent and to come to you and for the faith that you put into our hearts when we trust in you. 
And Lord, may we have the courage then to act on that and to go out every day and, and live by faith and to walk in your presence. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. God bless you all.